This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that would never crack it for a spot on The Bachelor and much prefers the old status quo. I'm Andrew Page and with me, Mr. Scott Phillips. Good Andrew, good fools. I'm tipping. They are relevant references, Andrew. They are. There's always a bit of a clue. <laughs> As tenuous as it might be. As tenuous as it might be, there's a bit of a clue there. Do you like how I pretended you wrote that, by the way? (laughs) Knowing full, I actually wrote it, but it wasn't very good. I'm I'm glad you outed yourself there. Yeah, totally. So what are we talking about? How does that all connect together? The Bachelor. Well, Channel 10. Channel 10 is bleeding red ink. Can it survive? That's a very, very serious question right now, so we're going to dive straight into that. And status quo. And status quo. Well, Coles prices are going down, 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 but so too are the margins. See how we did that Bachelor status quo 10? Genius. Aren't we genius? Genius. We should should do a podcast. Mike Moore's in the news as well. Uh, Challenges continuing there, but is there light at the end of the tunnel? And how to earn 10 times your money in a single day. Oh, buried the lead. Clever how we put that at the end, isn't it? (laughs) Stay tuned. So, but first, Channel 10. 10 Network Holdings. Dear, dear. Listed company. It's on the share market. Yes, one of our top three, only three free-to-air networks in the country. That's right. And they uh, reported their half-year results recently, and they recorded a $232 million loss for the first half. They lost that just in six months. Yeah, you've got to try hard to do that. Uh, so, okay. 40 that, million bucks a month, 10 million bucks a week. That's, a, that's a nice effort. Now, uh, to be fair, a, a, a big chunk of that was what the accountants would call a non-cash write-down. Ah. They still lost money even if you exclude that though, <laughs> but they had to write down the value of their licenses. They're just not worth as much as they were. So they had to they had to reduce what they're carrying that for on the balance sheet. Makes sense. Either way, it's, it's, it's very, very nasty. And it gets worse, Mr. Phillips. <laughs> These guys, their loan, their existing loan facility is due to expire in the not too distant future. If they can't plug that gap, CEO came out and basically said, we might go bankrupt. We might not exist. We we are, we are out of here. Yep. So what do you think the shares did? (laughs) You're painting such a pretty picture, Andrew. I'm tipping they didn't go up. Uh, They didn't go up. I was going to say, it sounds like a trick question. They did. (laughs) They were down 15% in reaction to that news. That's probably, uh, when a company comes out and says, we may not have a business past December, (laughs) only 15% is actually a pretty good result. Well, let let me, I take that. Let me give you some context here. This is a company whose shares back in 2004 were trading at $32 a pop. So now there must be what, 15, 20 They're they're about 30 cents. (laughs) That's a 99% drop. And just when you oh, think it can't that. get worse, I, I love that saying, what's a, what's a share that's down 90%? I don't know. Tell me. It's a share that's lost 80% and then halves. Yeah. And it can always go, I mean, just because it's down 99%, 30, this could be three cents. <laughs> when, you, when, you've gone from a, when you've gone from 30 to a buck, you're thinking, oh God, I've, I've copped that. But a dollar's got to be good value, right? It's already fallen by that far. Yep. It's got to be up from here. And, and look, it's just gone from bad to worse to yeah. worse to worse. Now this is... This is really interesting. Now, we'll dive into this a little bit more here. Yep. 10 um, supposedly actually won some market share in the very, very tough advertising market in the six months. Yep. Um, but still, they managed to do that. So this, there's, there's a broader theme at play here. Do you think that commercial TV is on the way out for good? Oh, so many bits of bits of questions there. I think commercial TV is in a decent amount of trouble, Andrew, I have to say. Yeah. I think when you think about... Their ability to exchange advertising dollars for viewer eyeballs mm. in a much more fragmented market like we have here mm. and with a, with a globalizing market for content. So you yeah. think about um, any, of the, any of the best overseas shows, right? Mm-hmm. Why would they not 
now come through on Foxtel or on Netflix or on Stan or on mm. YouTube or on one of any dozens of new platforms that could come up. Once upon a time, you and I would have sat down with our families at six o'clock on a Sunday night yeah. and watched probably the Channel 9 News or Channel yeah. 7 News. Mm. We all watched the same shows at the same time, did the same things. It was the only way a mass market advertiser yeah. could get to an audience. Yeah. Now, there is no replacement for that mass audience anymore. Mm. In its place, we have cost per click advertising. And I've mm. got to say, there's always going to be car ads and, and whatever ads in on, on mainstream television when you want to get to as many people as physically possible with something big and shiny and great. Mm. That'll always have a place. Mm. Right now, though, if you want video advertising, throw it on a website. Yeah. Throw it on YouTube. Throw it on, you know, there yeah, are so Google many Google and Facebook ways. have just taken a banner chunk out of the whole lot. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And, and television doesn't have the benefit of radio, for example, that you're listening to while you're doing something else. So you're always going to want to, you know, we're sitting at home doing our work. You put the radio on or you put something on, maybe it's Google Play, maybe it's, mm. you know, iTunes, something else. But you're going to put something on in the background. Radio's got a place. For anywhere TV, mm. you're saying, I'm going to stop what I'm doing. I'm going to devote my attention to some form of entertainment. Mm. It's less and less likely over time now it's going to be television, and particularly free-to-air television. Mm. Foxtel can work out its cost by saying, well, if I paid this much for these sports rights mm. or this programming or this live event, I can get my money back. Mm. Nine, seven, ten have got 24-7 content to produce at some mm. sort of cost. Mm. I hope enough people tune in and people, unfortunately, just deserting the, the free-to-air networks in their droves. Yeah. It's... Now, we should say Channel 10, by the way, when it gets to December, if it doesn't get that loan, Guess who gets the business? Seven and nine? No, it's well, they get the, the customers, but the assets go to the billionaire backers of Channel Town. Ah, so here's the fun right. part of the okay. story, right? right? So right. James Packer, Lachlan Murdoch, Bruce Gordon, who most people won't know, but who owns the Wynn Network, yep. and Gina Reinhart. They are the billionaires behind Channel 10, and the first three from memory are the guarantors of the debt. Mm. So come December, when 10 says, sorry, Commonwealth Bank, we can't pay you back. The guarantors owe money to the Commonwealth Bank to settle a loan mm. and they get the assets. And so that's going to be the fun part of the story is if we do get to that point, and we should say, well, I'm saying it's fun. There are people who, who work there and whose lives are, you know, being paid by the salaries oh, that come from that. Yeah. So yeah. It's, there's a human part of the story as well. But from a purely financial perspective, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens. Does Lachlan Murdoch want it? Does Fox or, or News Corp want to take over Channel 10? Does Bruce Gordon's Wind Network want to be in mainstream television with 10? Do mm. they split the assets and go their separate ways? Do they simply fold the whole thing? and let the viewers go to 7, 9, ABC, and SBS. Speaking of the assets, though, are they really worth that much? So we've already seen the value of those licenses being written down. Yep. So they're becoming worth less and less and less. Yep. The actual hardware, the equipment that's in all these studios, I suppose that that's becoming worth less and less as well. Yep. Um, so are they, you know, there's, there's what's recorded on the balance sheet, but what they can actually flog that for, I mean, who's going to be buying all of this kind of stuff? I mean, 7 and 9 have their own transmission towers and all the rest of yep. it. They've got their own studios. They've got all the gear. I mean, it's only someone who else who says, look, it's cheap enough that I can actually come in here and make a go of it, right? So it seems pretty dire, right? Yeah. And I think that, look, when I say the assets, I'm really talking about someone who wants to come and run 10. Yeah. Who wants to take over 10 and try somehow to, to, to bring it back from the ashes. A masochist. Possibly. <laughs> okay. We'll see whether James or, or Lachlan or Bruce Gordon fit that bill. All right. Well, let's move on. Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. From one uh, difficult situation to another. Now, uh, Coles, everyone knows Coles. Indeed. Uh, a supermarket uh, giant out there owned uh, and operated by the conglomerate Wes Farmers. Mm-hmm. 
Um, now, they've had a, a pretty brutal period. Their slowest sales growth in nine yeah. years. Yeah, 1.2% growth for the quarter, which is decent. Not bad. But this is the Coles business that really came back from the ashes. Speaking of ashes, mm -hmm. uh, came back from the ashes. These guys these guys really did manage to turn this business around. They've been growing like gangbusters for the past four or five years in particular. But the last the year to date so far, this year and particularly in the last quarter, things are getting a little bit tough. 1.2% growth for the for the three months, 1.9% for the for the year to date, the nine months. Uh, things are getting a little bit a little bit heated and a little bit tough in, uh, in supermarket land. And a big part of this is the the price war with its arch rival Woolies, Indeed. right? So they've had to reduce prices. As they, putting, they, they, don't, they, don't, they don't say we're reducing prices. What do price. they call it, Andrew? We're investing in investing prices. Investing in prices. Which investing in the customer offer. I love it. I love it. Euphemism central. Um, well, have it, look, take a step back here. This was always inevitable. When Coles um, was first taken over by West Farmers, it had really been run into the ground. Yep. There was a lot of low-hanging fruit that a savvy operator could do to improve yep. the business, and they did it, and they did it extremely well. Correct. Sales per square meter were increasing. They made some good investments in stores, investment <laughs> in prices. They drove. Uh, they 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 won back a bunch of market share essentially, and they did really really well there. And for they make a, while. a lot of money because this is so, this the, these businesses have such high operating leverage. If you can drop your price a little bit, they get lots more customers in the store. Oh, the it math. pays in spades. It works out really well. But it was all, I mean, you, 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 once that low-hanging fruit is kind of gone, it becomes much, much more difficult. So are it. we really just getting to that inevitable point where now it starts to get a little bit more difficult, yep. even though you might be still moving in the right direction? Or is there something more structural at play here, would you say? Be it of both. Coles say that you know they're having to invest in prices because of the competitive landscape. Mm. What they should actually fess up and say is, we, we created this problem and now we're stuck. We, we've been hoisted their own petard. Um, this is a fight they started. They haven't been able to finish. Well, and that's so, that's right. Yeah. That's that's where the challenge really is for Coles. Is is they 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 struck first. Maybe the dollar milk and dollar bread. Yep. They really put some price points out there to say to consumers, "Hey, we're back." Yep. And frankly, it worked really well. Yeah. Plenty of people went and shopped at Coles again, and and that hurt Woolworths. Oh, do you remember, that's all we were talking about a yeah. while back. It wasn't at Woolworths, and how how do they fight this resurgent Coles? And now you've got two. And so this is this is business as usual now, right? Mm. If you've got two healthy, well-run. You know, aggressive competitors. You're going. You know, the, the two together can only grow sales at the rate of growth of total grocery sales by yep. definition, right? Yep. Yeah, there's Aldi and there's IGA, but realistically, other than a bit of market share gain and loss in the in the in the you know percentage points, you know, point two point three percentage point market share gains or losses, the rest is just simply system growth. And so, yep. if you've got a weak competitor, Woolies did fantastically well for a lot of time because Coles was a terrible competitor. Yeah. Then Woolies rested on its laurels, and Coles did fantastically well because Woolies forgot how to fight. Yeah. Now they're kind of both match fit again, and they're pretty much keeping each other at bay. Yeah. And so now you're going to have, I think, a consistent period of relatively low growth each yeah. because you can't grow at the other's expense. Man, that makes it tough, doesn't it? Speaking let's, of tough, let's let's broaden let's broaden the lens out. <laughs> Poor West Farmers. So, uh, so West Farmers is is having to deal with that. Yeah. Um, but they've also got Target to deal with as well. <laughs> Sales were oh, down. Yeah. How much were they down, Scott? Eighteen one eight. Eighteen percent. Was that for the half? That was that was for the quarter. For year the quarter. On year. Wow. Now, that's you, massive. That's one dollar in five. So one shopper in five that shopped there last year didn't come back this year. Because this was due to a bit of a change in strategy too, right? Yeah. yeah. So look, here's the problem. The discounting in, in retail is getting massive. And we know that everyone waits for a sale, all that kind of good stuff. Yep. To the point where, frankly, Target was only ever selling stuff on special. Yeah. And so it's decided in its wisdom to change its strategy so that to basically embrace what, what the industry calls everyday low prices. Oh, okay. So they want to be cheap all the time yep. rather than expensive sometimes, really cheap the rest of the time. Sounds Some sensible. sort of midpoint that's relatively inexpensive, not as cheap as the specials probably, but nowhere near as expensive as the high price. Okay, product. so they enacted this. Yeah. It didn't, it didn't do <laughs> well. Because humans loved it so much yeah. so they didn't come back. 
Why? Well, here's the thing. JCPenney in the US, the, the department store many people might know, it tried to get rid of promotions the same way. Its sales fell 30% in Oof. a given quarter. Oof. So much so that shareholders revolted and they had to put the specials back on. Right. Now, it remains to be seen. Target's kind of got cover of the West of, rest of West Farmers. Maybe it kind of gets to see the end of this program and see you know, what, what happens next. Yeah. But it's just a tough, tough business. Consumers want to buy stuff on special. Remains to be seen whether an everyday low price strategy can be enough to, to reset. Target has been the problem child of West Farmers for as long as they've owned it. It was the problem to try for Coles Meyer before that. Mm. Um, Target's always been a bit of a, a bit of a hot and cold business, and frankly, no one yet has the solution because there are just too many retailers in the country. And Target, like Meyer, I would argue, and DJs doesn't stand for anything in particular anymore. It's just a large shop yeah. with a whole lot of stuff in it. But why would you go there? I don't think consumers really know anymore. Well, uh, riddle me this. You, you know West Farmers a lot more than me. It's, it's, um, it also owns Kmart, right? It does. So how is Kmart so radically different than Target? Well, here's the great thing, right? They basically said, we're going to get rid of brands. Yep. We're going to source all that stuff overseas. Who, who, who said this? Target K- or Kmart? Kmart, okay. Kmart's going to get rid of all the brands. So Billabong, yep. Rip Curls, the, the other stuff you would have seen, this, got rid of most of those, right? Yep. They've got their own brands now, but they're basically okay. just names they put on a t-shirt or a pair just of shorts. Generics. Yep. They're selling it for two bucks, four bucks, seven bucks, ten bucks. Yep. Kmart has become the home of really, really cheap clothes. Yeah. Really cheap clothes. Yep. And that's all it is. So Target are trying to be kind of partly stylish, but really inexpensive. They're kind of caught in the middle of nowhere. So Kmart really got under Big W in a, lo- a big way by yep. basically coming out and saying, we're going to be just really, really cheap. Yeah. $5, $7, $10. Cheap stuff made overseas, no brands, no middleman. Kmart go and source the stuff directly from overseas and they're doing a really good job of it. That's at the very, very, very bottom of the apparel market. Yeah. And they're doing a fantastic job. The problem is Target is stuck somewhere in between that and maybe Myra or DJs. You've got the specialty fashion over on one side. You've got, there's just, there's just so much competition. If you don't stand for anything in particular, Kmart straight out stands for low prices. And pure, that's See, exactly. In my, it, right? I'm just not a big shop. I hate going to shops. So for me, I've always just thought, yeah, Target, Kmart, same thing, right? Yeah. Well, so they used to, and this is the thing. Kmart really reinvented itself beautifully. But they, wait, they're be- owned by the same company. So how do they? How are they so smart on one area, and, and you know, for ostensibly the same kind of business, and just drop the ball so badly elsewhere? I think. It's, I think the reality is that there's not enough strategies for the number of retailers that are out there. Yeah. So, you know, Kmart has a strategy that works, but if Target's the same as Kmart, then there is no need for two stores. Couldn't you just rebrand it? Couldn't you just say, I'm Richard Goiter, I'm the head of West <laughs> Farmers, boom, Target doesn't exist, we're putting a Kmart sign out the front, we just run with that. You could, but the problem is there's already, in, in most places, there's a, there's a Target, there's a Kmart, or vice versa. Uh, and so, if you're in a single Westfield, you don't want two Kmart stores there. If, if West Farmers close one down, they lose the sales, yeah. lose the profit, they've got to pay the leases out. Yeah. So yeah, okay. what, what I think West Farmers, West Farmers would sell this business in a heartbeat if it could. Yeah. And frankly, I have a suspicion. No, no willing buyers, maybe. Well, they're right. And yeah. I have a suspicion they'd close it if they could, mm. but the lease extension they've got to pay, they, they've got multi, multi-year leases in some yeah, of these places. Yeah, yeah. If you've got an eight-year lease, you know you're paying leases for an empty shop. And if you've got a couple of hundred around the country, yeah. trying to get out of all those leases at the same time, sublet them all. Frankly, I think Goiter probably should bite the bullet and do it anyway and try and find the subleases, staunch the bleeding and get on with it. But that's the tough part of the business. Well, I'll mention one more thing with West Farmers. Um, they've got Officeworks. Yes. It goes all right. Up for sale. Um, they've got Bunnings. Yes. Best retailer in the country, you could argue. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't think anyone would actually argue with that. I think it's, it's far and away. The results they're delivering are far and away the best. If Bunnings was a standalone retailer, yeah. it would be considered the very best retailer in the country with a bullet. And mm. for the last decade or dozen years, it's just, it's just such a phenomenal success. So you got, so you got those guys. Well, Officeworks is going to be gone. So you got yes. Bunnings, right? But also, Officeworks is also a very good retailer. Yeah, yeah, they do all right. Um, and then you got coal or coal assets <laughs> from coal to coals in the one, in the one company so yeah. it really is a, a broad conglomerate it here really and we all know the troubles that are sort of going on with coal so you look at west farmers and you say coals has now got its its, its challenges target oh my god um 
you know, okay, we've got Bunnings, oh, shit, then we've got Coles. You tie all this up. Do you still buy West Farmers? Yeah, I think you do actually. I think, you know, it's 43 odd bucks at the time of, of taping. This is the beauty of a conglomerate business. So Richard Goiter, very, very capable businessman. Coles is being run well, albeit sales aren't going through the roof, but they're doing okay. Bunnings is spectacularly good. Officebooks is going to be sold. This is the nature of a conglomerate business. Yeah, right. Sometimes okay. things are going well, some are doing badly. Overall, you expect the result is pretty good overall. Yeah. And I think if you break that down, the, the ability of Goiter to sell, buy, otherwise lease out other parts of the business, it's going to sell Officeworks and get some cash. It could at some point, if it wants to, sell the coal business or the coal's business or both. Mm. And so you've got a great management team, companies that, or component business units that are, that are earning a decent return for the, for the company at the moment. Mm -hmm. They're targeting higher returns. I think that's why you buy West Farmers because they have the flexibility and the ability to buy and sell those businesses to willing buyers or sellers, um, but also to be able to, to move the cash around the company yeah. to take advantage of the best opportunities they foresee. One of those, by the way, is expanding Bunnings into the UK. Mm. And that's their big kind of growth potential for that business right mm. now. So it's a bet on management really and their savviness. And 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 frankly, a very defensive business. You, mm. you don't get much more offensive than, than Bunnings and Coles. That's true. Now, they, these, are, these are everyday businesses. You're never going to lose sleep owning mm. as, a, as a shareholder. Okay. Get more Motley Fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Let's move on. Um, uh, Speaking of losing sleep. Gosh. <laughs> Now, I can tell you a lot about this. Blackmore is a company we recommended not too long ago. Um, How's that gone? Uh, not well. Okay. Not well yet. <laughs> um, so th tell these, me why. these guys um, sell uh, vitamins, um, snake oil, you full could say. Full disclosure, <laughs> I used to work at Blackmore's. Yes, you did. Uh, full disclosure, I'm not a fan of their product, but I am a fan of their business. <laughs> and and the business was just, just knocking it out of the park. Yeah. Long story short, oh, it was, it like was oh, just phenomenal. It was all about the China trade and what they call... Daigu trade. So you have people, you know, students, whatever, packing their suitcases full of vitamins, milk powder, and the rest of it, shipping it off to China and making a nice little margin. And right. it just did wonderfully well. Right. China came out and threatened to change some of the uh, regulations around that. And the whole trade just dried up. So a whole bunch of chemists and retailers around the country found themselves packed full, mm. you know, crates out the back of this stuff that they just couldn't sell. And then Blackmores just found that their sales fell off a cliff. So after a $100 million record result last year, in 2016, they're now looking at probably going down about 40% from that. And this is that. profit we're talking. Sorry, this is profit, I should say. So, so what happened was they had a whole lot of stock that was selling at a rate of knots. Yeah. They were selling a whole lot into the, you know, the chemists and the pharmacies and the supermarkets around the country. Mm. But the end user stopped buying. Yeah. And the retailers found themselves full of stock. And Blackmores couldn't sell any product to save themselves. Yeah? Well, that well, there's a few wrinkles there. It seems as though, as best we can tell, that the 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 underlying demand is still there. So this is really what you would call a a consequence of a change in channel mix. So in other words, the way that the product was getting to the customer changed. And there was a real dislocation there for a while. So the retailers didn't need to reorder from Blackmores anymore because they still had plenty of stuff to burn through. Same could be said for a lot of the Daigu traders as well. So even though at the end of the day, the consumer was still chugging along and, and, and popping all of these pills, um, there, was just a, there was just a real slowdown. So they took a right. real whack in the first quarter. Having said that, we've we've then since seen quarter on, on consecutive quarters here, they have rebuilt their sales. Okay. So it seems like you've had this phenomenal run up in sales, a bit of a drop backwards, and then we're sort of starting to trend up again, which gives me a great deal of confidence that under, underneath all of this, we've got a business that's sort of taken a backward step, but has still got a product that's incredibly um, attractively, attra incredibly attractive margins, right. very big opportunity in terms of growth. The customers like it, um, and and they're just they're, they're they're going forward rather well. So kind of things got. Almost 
almost really too good to be true in terms of sales and profit. Um, they told they made the sale while the sale was there to be made. Yeah, but unfortunately, just because things changed in their market, sales fell away, and that's no that's no, no fault of management. It's just what happens when simply the, the trade goes away, and now they're kind of getting back to something more like business as usual. Yeah, it looks it looks that way. Okay. So I, I actually think it's a pretty decent um, uh, opportunity at this point. Shares are up four percent on the back of their three uh, third quarter results yesterday. So investors liked it. So investors seem to like it okay. as well. It sort of shows that this wasn't a you know a um, a structural change here. That you know the, the, the broader story was still in place. So China's growing. So sales direct to China are growing. Oh, so this is what I need to mention. So Australian sales yep. were down 26% compared Ooh. to the same. We thought Target was bad. Yeah, that's right. Right. <laughs> Shows you how big they were. Now their yeah, sales yeah. are still already in the first three quarters. They're almost more than they were entire than the entire year before last. So in okay. 2015. So they, they're still selling a huge amount of stock. You look at the quarter on quarter sales going back about 10 years, then it's a very, very, very sharp climb there. Okay. So if we said that last year was an anomaly. If, yeah. you kind of, if you kind of draw a line you through that. You knock the top off that. Right, it, okay. it looks as though it's still okay. okay. But as I said, China Direct sales, the online sales that they're doing, they're up 60%. They're growing incredibly well. Now, we should say some of those would have been the sales they would have made through Daigu the year before. Absolutely. Right? So this is this channel mix change right, again. Right, right. You're also seeing some really good results in, in uh, a broader market. Well, places like Vietnam going incredibly well. Um, in fact, if excluding Korea, which has had a bit of a, a switch there in its channel mix as well, is that 14% increase or so okay. in sales in Greater Asia. So it all seems to be going rather well. So there are Thailand, Taiwan, Malaysia. And there's a lot of opportunity there as well to, okay. to expand. So, so we, what do you, what say you, Andrew? I say, I say clearly we were unfortunate with the timing of our recommendation because but, that thing just came out of the blue and sort of, not that anyone was extrapolating those kind of results forward, but yeah. it was such a big drop back. But without anchoring on the past too much, you look at where you are today, you look at the price, you look at the, the, the trajectory in sales, you look at the opportunity. And I, I think this is a business that's actually well worth buying at this point in time. Nice. That's my two cents. Put anyway. it on the buy list. Motley Fool Money. For more, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Talking about making money though, we, we hinted before, how can you make 10 times my money in a single day? Well, the first part of the answer okay. is you have to wait 20 years. <laughs> so it's like the overnight success that was 10 years in the making. But here's how it years comes about. Case. So we're talking about one of the Motley Fool co-founders, David Gardner. We're, we're looking for some uh, some career brownie points here as we, as we talk about it. I'll make sure he gets a copy of this. He's in the US. Hi, David. Love you. <laughs> um, David, David bought Amazon back in 1997 and on a split-adjusted price, about three That's bucks. That's when it was a bookstore, right? Well, the, the world's biggest bookseller was its tagline. Yeah. And three bucks a share, right? The shares went up to a hundred bucks. He made Genius. a thirty-fold return. Genius. He was doing fantastic. Then the dot-com crash came, Ooh. and the shares fell from a hundred dollars back to nine. Ah, oh, he, he probably, lost ninety percent of his money. Oh yeah, over a, a very short period of time. Yes, he was still up threefold, but he lost ninety percent of his money at that point. That's brutal, isn't it? And everyone else sold. And David Gunner said, "No, you know, I think there's an opportunity here." So he held his shares and he held his shares and he held his shares. Those shares are now over $900 a share. Whoa. That's a 300 bagger for David Gardner. Now, that's not every buys, company. It buys you right? a lot of Teslas, it, right? It buys a lot of anything. Yeah. Um, that, that's, Amazon's not the average company. Yep. So we should, we should say that pretty clearly. Mm. The 10 bagger though. Yep. So his cost base was $3 something a mm -hmm. share, right? Mm -hmm. Overnight. Like, Amazon yep, shares went up forty dollars a share. So he got a tenfold return yeah. in one day on, he, on his based on price his cost in base. a single day. And this is the benefit. So there's a whole, there's so many stories. There's, there's a couple. There's a couple lessons here. We could do a whole a whole podcast on it, but we won't because yeah. um, Liam's bored and we need to move on. <laughs> so so basically, um, 
the story of Amazon is, so a couple of things, very, very quickly. Buy and hold still remains the best strategy for investors, bar none. Ignore the headlines every couple of years say buy and hold is dead. It's always it's always been in place, it'll continue to be in place. Those that say buy and hold is dead are the ones who basically have just stuffed up and trying to look for someone else to blame. Or they're a broker and they make money the more you trade. <laughs> there is that too. Not, not to be so buy and hold works. The second mm-hmm. is buy quality businesses backed by great management teams mm-hmm. with vision and good business momentum. That's yeah. working really well. Yeah. And then just kind of let time do its, it's thing. It's the story of compounding, don't isn't be, it? Don't be, yeah. Look, David could well have said, you know, shares have fallen from 100 to 9. I've still got three times my money. I'm going to take some off the table, mm. you know? And if he'd have sold at that point, he would have had a three-bagger, yeah. felt very comfortable with a turn 10 grand into 30 grand, felt like a genius. Yep. Great. That'll pay for a couple of dinners and, and you know, after tax a bit else. Yep. But by holding on, he's got a 300-fold return, return on his money. And that 10-bagger came overnight just because he basically let time and whatever do its job. So, so ignore trying to be too clever with buying and selling in and out. Let yep. time do its work. Yes. The other thing I would mention, knowing David and, and the way he invests, is that he has a pretty crappy strike rate, if I can say that. Um, <laughs> hi, David. I love you. That was, that Thanks was for employing Andrew me. Page. Um, but he does. He's, you know, he, he's, he's the first one he'll say it. Where, where you know, when I say strike rate, when you look at his recommendations, yes. he's got more losers than winners. Yes. And yet the overall average return is just wonderful he is smashing the s&p 500 which he's in the us so that's his benchmark absolutely streeting the market because his winners win big and if he loses lose he doesn't worry too much about it and and as investors we can and we know this from our members ourselves andrew you know when when one stock doesn't do well members focus and fix it on that one stock that one tell me something i don't know tell me something i don't know (laughs) well we'll throw out your Uh, mistakes later yeah you know we as investors we all make mistakes the point is that you'd buy a portfolio of stocks Mm. and aim for that portfolio to do well knowing full well that some will do badly. Now, maybe it's three out of 10, five out of 10, seven out of 10 will do badly. Mm. As long as your winners do better than your losers, yeah. then you'll do very well. It's and a probabilistic game, isn't it? Exactly. You, and you've you, got to have a... You got, yeah. we, we, the, I think I'm, the longer I do this, the more convinced I am that the intermediate... The novice investor makes lots of mistakes. Mm. The intermediate investor's biggest mistake is most likely to be focusing on the stuff that doesn't matter. Overly fixating mm. on individual companies yeah. rather than taking a portfolio approach and taking a, a, a range of risks that yes, each could end in, in tears. Yeah. But overall, if you're, as you say, probabilistically right, there's every chance that as long as you toss the coin enough times, you'll come out ahead. Yeah, it, it's such an important lesson. It's just so hard to do. I think everyone gets it when you talk about it, but then the experience of it is very, very, very difficult. I also cringe a little bit when we talk about it because isn't it an oh-so-convenient thing for someone in our position to sort of say? It's like, hey, we've had a range of recommendations not go so well, but ah, it's probabilistic and it'll all come out in the wash. <laughs> and so you, it has that convenience to it yeah. that, that does make me cringe because, you know, that isn't, well, isn't that what you would say otherwise? But the, the, yeah. the, the irony, I mean, it's, it's true. That's, and that's the and it comes part, right. back to it with, right. All of the great investors, you know, whether it Lynch, be it Buffett, be it Graham, whatever. I mean, losses were just part and parcel of it. So yes. I think the big mistake that investors make is like, oh, I'm going to start investing in the market. They expect to win, you know, 90% of the time. And straight away. And straight away. And they, they, this lesson, why we just come full circle here. This is why I think this Amazon um, case study is so wonderful. He says, yes, he made he made some terrible interim losses along the way. Yep. It took a long time for things to come good. He made a whole bunch of mistakes on the way through. Yet overall, he's been one of the most successful investors in modern times. And it's 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 something that I think we should reiterate as often as we can because it is so important. Um, and you know, I, I I hope I hope investors 
the listeners take it to heart and and and, and roll all of this into their expectations. Very good way to finish. We've gone over time yet again, haven't we? How, um, what a surprise. I know. Why don't we just call it an hour podcast and then we can say <laughs> we finish early every year, every day. Every, oh, for God's sake, every week. Every week. That's, that's time to wrap it up. Uh, it thank you very much for listening. Remember, as always, you can subscribe to this uh, podcast. You go through iTunes or an Android podcast app. Just look for Triple M's Motley Fool Money. That's all you need to do. So thanks, Scott, for your time. Thank you, Andrew. And until next week, full on. Full on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.